0: Hey, welcome back to another edition of the 5 Tool Podcast. I'm Dustin McComas, joined once again, as always, by Drew Bishop. We're up to episode 97, creeping ever so closely um, to that magical number 100. I don't know if it's magical, but um, it would mark 100 podcasts, which is a pretty cool deal uh, for us when we started this thing. We didn't quite know where it would go, um, but thanks to you guys routinely tuning in, uh, here we are with episode 97. and We've got a good one today. Uh, Yale pitching coach and recruiting coordinator Chris Rojic is going to join us, uh, part of that that new staff there at Yale, um, taking over things coming off of an outstanding season at Eastern Connecticut, where they went forty nine and three um, and won the national championship there, uh, making the move over uh, not too far away uh, over to Yale. So really, really excited to talk to him. But um, first off, Drew, how are things going? How's the family doing? Um, you know, how have you found any new tricks or things as you've been playing around with the new website? Uh, what's, what's life like, um, up in the Rockwall area?
1: Um, well, don't go outside much, um, other (laughs) than to run some energy off of our two-year-old off him, but he's still loving his little motorcycle. So we're doing that every so often. Um, but, other than that, been playing around the website and looking at schedules for the spring. Um, so baseball is getting close. Yeah. Excited to be down at the coaches' convention this weekend, and that's in right Run Rock, So excited for that. Uh, get to see some coaches, but I think you know as as we keep on playing with it, you know I think more and more features are kind of. I'm figuring out how to navigate. You know, mm-hmm. like we talked about, trying to how you get to certain things, um, but been playing around with some of the alumni tabs for some of the high schools cleaning some of that up but i'm um, starting to get some feedback from coaches about their rosters and um you know like we, we mentioned last time if you see something that stands out as if you know if kids have transferred or aren't in the program anymore and they show up there um let us know and yeah. we can clean some of that up and mm-hmm. um look for, you know, as coaches continue to sign up, obviously we're starting to make some headway on some D1 programs. You know, we've got programs major. We have more than two programs from from Omaha last year signed up already. There we Um, go. Several SEC, Big 12, Power 5 programs signed up. So just so kids understand that coaches are looking at this um, and they're excited about it. So you can help yourself by putting some putting video, your own videos on there, yeah. um, updating your profile to make sure your con- contact info is right. But again, it's still, still exciting, uh, adding stuff, getting a lot of feedback as we go. Um, looking forward to it for sure. And like you said, excited to talk to coach Wojcik, you know, they got the job, uh, early in the, early in the summer last year, and mm-hmm. it's been a whirlwind for them, but obviously they're, they're trying to make a point of getting into Texas and yeah, um you know they're interested in our stuff and other stuff in this region um and I'm excited to hear how they plan to go about things and what they're looking for in recruiting
0: yeah let's get to it um here's our interview with Yale pitching coach and recruiting coordinator uh Chris Wojcik happy to be joined by Yale pitching coach and recruiting coordinator Chris Wojcik who uh a part of the new staff at Yale exciting things going on up there Chris first off Thanks for joining us and taking the time. I know you guys are busy gearing up uh, for the upcoming season and practice and things like that, but uh, this whole transition, you you joined in July, you know, what's it like? Take us like through a, a day as the, uh, as the Yale pitching coach and recruiting coordinator. How's that transition gone? And uh, um, how did those off season workouts go for you guys?
2: Yeah, uh thanks for having me. I I really appreciate it. Uh, we get going here with individuals next Tuesday. We're we're allowed to start individuals the day that we start classes, so that's that's Tuesday January 17th. Um, and luckily like for us right now it's uh it's actually pretty warm for the month of January in in Connecticut, so like where we were just looking at the weather, I think next Tuesday it's going to be like 48 degrees and we're going to be able to practice outside. So which you, you guys going to be a <laughs> yeah, we're going to be in short. You're right. And, uh, I think at least the weather patterns up here in the Northeast have kind of almost pushed off a little bit. Um, I think we wore short sleeves at practice through the whole fall and it was like 65, 70 degrees all the way through October, uh, which is a big change for us. Um, and yeah. the weather patterns kind of pushed off where it's kind of almost colder in March and April. Um, and it's kind of been a little bit warmer through the winter. So hopefully, hopefully, you know, we keep our fingers crossed that we're going to be able to keep this weather, uh, for the spring, but, um, Unfortunately, being in the Northeast, it gets a little a cold and windy at, <laughs> at some points in March. Um, yeah, so uh, Coach Ham and I uh, were at Eastern Connecticut State University for the last four years. Um, we won the national title for the division for Division three um, right at the beginning of June, and we kind of had some indications. Brian was in the interview process and had been going through the interview process through the month of May uh, with with Yale, and we had had a bunch of talks about me joining him over here. Um, and yeah, it was amazing. And they basically, you know, let us kind of, and him focus on our world series run. And basically were like, Hey, handle your business and and we'll talk and, and continue the interview process once you guys are all done. Uh, so I think coach ham, we won the world series on a Wednesday and he was on campus, uh, <laughs> like on Friday. Uh, so they <laughs> kind of moved quick after we were done, but, um, we kind of had indications that we thought it was trending in that direction. And it's, 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 Awesome. Yale's an amazing place. Uh, I think every time we walk around campus, you, you find something new, cool, and, and interesting. And there's so much history. And, um, and we, we let our guys actually tour our play uh, our incoming recruits around for the most part. And we've had a, a really good amount of success with, with doing that because not only the, our, do we have amazing kids on our team, Uh, but they know the intricacies of campus and how to what Mm -hmm. to show and and what kind of resonates with incoming recruits and especially we have you know five or six Texas guys on our team so for you guys we always like we have a kid coming up from Texas um, Houston area Dallas area et cetera we'll kind of pair them up with someone from that area that very much can kind of speak to how Yale um, how the how it changes for you when you get to Yale and they very much can relate to you know, where they come from and things along those lines, which I think has been really helpful for us. Um, so our actually first tour around campus, um, we we walk into one of the dining halls. So Yale has what's called, they have a college system. So we have 14 colleges on campus. So as a freshman, you live in um, like a, uh, a residence area called Old Campus. So it's like basically what it's called. So it's like the original Yale's campus. All the freshmen are in one big quad. Um, but then you, after that, you're assigned to a college. You live in the co- that college for the okay. next four years, for the next three years. So, sophomore, junior, yeah. senior year, um, and like one side of the one side, it's like a huge quad. And one side, sophomores; one side's juniors; one side, seniors, and the other side's a dining hall. Um, and you're allowed to eat wherever you want on campus. All your your card scans into every one of the, the colleges and quads. So, we we're, we're uh, one of our seniors was walking us through and brings us to one of the dining halls says hi to somebody and leaves and i'm like hey who like who'd you who'd you say hi to and he was, was like oh that person took a leave of absence last year to work on the mars rover project <laughs> he has the first <laughs> five thousand digits of pi memorized and i remember being like man you were like people have told us it's different world. like how how smart people are at, at yale and it's just a totally different world and Um, but it's, it's, it's amazing. I mean, we have our adult head coach, John had kind of told us when you're taking over, like, I think the coolest part about coaching at Yale is you're coaching people that are potential future presidents, governors, senators, CEOs of companies, lawyers, doctors, things along those lines. Like they're, you're coaching kids in your locker room that are not only, you know, really talented athletes, but people that are going to go on to do amazing things in life.
1: So, so along those lines, you talk about, obviously you're, a lot of these guys are going to Yale uh, because they're smart, right? That's a, that's mm-hmm. obviously a, a precursor. You have to have, be able to check that box um, and be a good student. Uh, but, you know, Yale has a history of getting guys drafted. You know, I think they have had 27 guys drafted since 2000. So you, you have a good mix. I mean, it's obviously you've got a locker room full of well-rounded individuals um, as a coaching staff. Have you, what's been the adjustment uh, for you? Um, as a staff trying to, you know, incorporate that part of the life into your players' lives? You know, like, do you, do you feel like it differs from the other places you've been? Um, do you have to structure your schedules differently? You know, what what similarities, what differences have you seen uh, along those lines so far?
2: Yeah, so I think that the, the great part about Yale is none of our guys take 8 a.m. classes. So Yale only has class every single day that starts at starts at nine in the morning, unless you uh, don't place into a specific language, you have to take an 8. A.m. class. But other than that, no classes begin before nine, which I think really helps us because we're able to lift um, as a team from seven 30 to eight 30, four days a week, which, which is, is a game changer. So they don't have, we don't have to get them out of bed at the crack of dawn and the weight room. For, for us, we have one that's directly across the street from the baseball field that was brand new last year, and then we have one in the center of campus. Um, so they're able to get there, and then they get done at 8.30. They're able to eat breakfast and kind of go on with their day. Um, and the nice part is for us, like, it is – our guys are done by 2.15, Monday through Thursday. It's extremely easy for them to get done by 2.15. There's no issues. We haven't had one issue with any guy being able to take classes, so they're kind of, you know, jammed up a little bit from 9 to 2.15 – um, but it makes it easier from for getting everybody at practice and being right. able to kind of start every day at the same time and be able to keep them on the same schedule. Um, and the nice part is, too, is how Yale operates is a lot of the classes are Monday, Wednesday or Tuesday, Thursday. So we have a very limited amount of guys that actually take class on Friday at all. And if they do, they're done by noon. Um, so that helps a lot from like, you know, when we're traveling or miss class perspective and things along those lines. Um, and it allows us to kind of, like I said before, create a, a set schedule kind of for them. And I think that's very much helpful, um, where we can kind of lay out a schedule for, you know, future weeks and months saying, Hey, we're going to, we're going to be practicing, you know, from three to five or whatever time, you know, Monday through Thursday, and then we're going to go at one o'clock on, on Fridays. Um, so I think that that's been really helpful. Um, from the recruiting perspective, I think we've. I, we, we've morphed a ton in six months and you're kind of figuring things out as you go and figuring out what works for you best and what doesn't work for us and finding kids in different pockets of the country and finding out kind of what net, what exactly fits for us here at Yale. Um, and I think for us uh, kind of what we've found is if the recruit that we're talking to is questioning the education and wants to talk a lot around well, how good is Yale academically? How good is your engineering program? How good is et cetera program? Um, they, they may not necessarily be kind of the best fit for us. You know, we want, we are very much trying to recruit players that understand the value of a Yale education and understand you're getting a you know top three education in the world. But we also want players that are extremely focused in uh, from the baseball side of the house and I think coach ham has you know explained it really well over over the course of the last 5 years that we've worked together is I think a lot of people say you know academics first athletics second or he he very much talks about that there's no priority and you don't prioritize academics first and athletics second, or athletics first and academics second. It's very much they very much go hand in hand, and they both need to be your top priority. And there's points in the year where academics are going to become before baseball, and there's other points in the year where uh, baseball is going to kind of come before your, your academics. And kind of being able to find the players that understand that and uh, um, that want to be here not only to get an amazing education, but but guys that want to go on to you know play professional baseball. Sure.
0: Yeah, I think one thing that the, uh, well, first off, I wish um, college administrators and people in general would listen. Like, Yale starts at 9 a.m. and doesn't do a lot on Friday. Like, why can't the rest (laughs) of the world and colleges work like that? That'd be great. Um, But, you know, I don't think the average baseball fan would realize the amount of influence that region has had um, professionally. You know, you look at you know, when Yale releases a statement about the new coaching staff and things like that, you look at some of the names on the list, like the Ben Sherringtons of the world, and things like that. And um, how how is this transition has it opened up any more doors for you and the staff in terms of the amount of people you can talk to in the, in the resources from from just the baseball side? Because you know, Drew mentioned all the draft picks, like the Ivy league is, is, is a heavily scouted league, you know, in, in the Connecticut area in general, like there are guys that come out of that region routinely that end up being top draft picks. Um, have you had any interesting conversations or maybe the Rolodex has changed a little bit in terms of the the brains you can pick from the baseball side?
2: Yeah. I, so I was actually laughing. So I'm speaking at the world baseball coaches convention, um, which they host at Mohegan sun every year. And it's, I'm speaking on Thursday and Friday. And I was laughing because I was like, Hey, I'm the, you know, when I'm now the Yale pitching coach, they want me to speak at the convention. But when I led the ERA, when I led the country twice in the <laughs> ERA and won a national title, like they didn't really have any interest. <laughs> um, yeah. and I was like la- we were laughing about it because it's like, well, I kind of know the same thing that I did, you know, two years ago. Um, but kind of the Yale name, you know, obviously gives you a little bit more gravitas and and things on those lines. And, and it's absolutely kind of changed the Rolodex. I think, um, Yale's an amazing place to work, and I think not only do you know Coach Ham and I think it's it's an amazing place, but I think a lot of people that you talk to think it's an amazing place too. And it's you know you, you're able to have a little bit more interesting conversations and, and things along those lines. And I think I I try to preface everything when I when people find out where you work or when you're when you're at a convention or you're talking to other people, you very much say, "Hey, like I work at Yale. I did not go to Yale, so don't expect <laughs> you know a very um, you know." high academic conversation. Um, but yeah, it's changed the Rolodex. And I think we're trying to figure out very much, um, you know, Drew's been really helpful with trying to navigate Texas for us at least. And I think we've, we very much have tried to got into, into. The, we've had a good success in Texas in the past and we want to go kind of harder into that area um, moving forward. But there's a lot of people in the country that have, have been super willing to help out and just trying to figure out, you know, who is going to, is giving you good leads and who's going to be able to point you in the right direction. And, um, what, who, you know, kind of that isn't giving you kind of the greatest leads and things on those lines, because the good and the bad about coaching at Yale is you can recruit anyone in the country, but you can also recruit anyone in the country. Mm -hmm. And, um, so you can kind of, you know, I think when we got hired in, in we hired on June 27th and, uh, we had zero 23 commits and we're we're allowed to bring in seven a year and so we were we were far behind um so we kind of ran around a little bit with our head cut off for i would say kind of six weeks there trying to put together our 23 class and we're extremely happy with with our with our 23s but kind of actually running around and being on the road basically for six weeks straight from from the three of ours perspective was it helped us learn a lot and helped us meet a lot of new people and helped us kind of shake a lot of trees and kind of see what fell out. Um, So we kind of were able to kind of create our Rolodex that way a little bit from guys that we trusted that either sent us on people that we didn't get, but we really liked the the talent that they were sending us um, or people that sent us on, on players that we ended up being able to, to get to come to Yale.
1: Yeah. So, you know, you mentioned that you can recruit anyone, obviously, you know, there are some schools that have a higher focus or higher um, restrictions on the types of students that you can take because of grades, because of GPA. And, you know, in my experience, just even if those are good, there's some people that just can't do it. Right. And if and if it's a struggle academically, you probably see it carry over to the field uh, one way or another. So, you know, w- when you're out recruiting as part of a two-part question, like, number one, what are the, you know, the immediate, disqualifiers or, or starting points for you academically when it comes to GPA, ACT. Um, and then, you know, when you're straight up evaluating guys on the field, what are some of those first things that you're looking for? or What are some, what are some things that you want to see or things that get you crossed off the list? Um, you know, just something that signifies that you're not going to fit at Yale uh, when you're playing in whatever type of event it is
2: yeah so we we very much try to do as much research up front as possible um so we're, we have a really good list of contacts whether that's at the WWBA or whether we're going to Don Mattingly in Texas or you know you're going to the the area code games or you're going to MPL in the in the Midwest we we created a really good list over time and the, the prior Yale staff had kind of shared that information with us and we were able to kind of build it out and um, so we're trying to do as much research up front as possible. And so we, we do a ton of um, communication with potential recruits up front, basically on asking, you know, um, to see their transcript. And like, yeah. we're like, Hey, Drew, heard really great things about you. Can you send me a copy of your transcript when you get a chance? And so we can just kind of do a, a really high, high level evaluation of your transcript based on the number of APs you're taking, especially if you're a three or junior year. And we kind of started a 37 GPA, but um, that's, that I would say that's an unweighted GPA out of a 4.0 and some schools right nowadays have GPAs out of six. Some people have yeah. GPAs <laughs> out of Gosh. 118. So it's, yeah. it's really difficult to kind of write like, I, 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 and, and the tough part is too, you've seen, I've seen a three seven and they have four C's on their transcript or I've seen a three seven and they have all A's. Um, so I think that's, it's, it's really tough to kind of put exact parameters around grade point average. Um, but we, we, we try to start at a 3.7. So when we're reaching out to coaches, we say, Hey, do you have any, um, you know, division one talented athletes that have above a 3.7 GPA? Um, especially when we we're doing our initial research. Uh, and and they a lot of them have been really good at kicking back recruits. Um, and like I've said, some of them have been amazing, and some of them are even kind of maybe too good for us, and they're going to Texas or Rice or Baylor. And, you know, and then some of them, you know, uh, potentially can't play at the Division One level. But so we try to do a lot of that research up front, and so we don't kind of chase ourselves around, because it's kind of like right, right in July when we got going, um, we chased around a lot of players that, necessarily we were, didn't fit for fit from an academic perspective. So we're trying to check that box where coaches, they, you know, are able to play at the division one level and the, you know, their GPA slash transcript reasonably fits within our parameters before we go see them on the road. Um, not saying that that happens all the time. Sometimes, right. You're on the road and you see, you know, um, a pitcher shorts up, et cetera, that you're really intrigued by. And you, you know, and then you'll go talk to the coach about, you know, where, you know where they fit from an academic perspective so that that obviously happens quite a bit as well but we try to do as much research up front um i think in the recruiting process when we're out recruiting i think a lot of and especially for us in in, in new england with how much people have to practice indoors and things on those lines during during the winter months um it's become a metric based game and everybody is saying hey i run a Six, seven, sixty, and I hit the ball. And my exit velo is a hundred, and I throw ninety-four from the outfield, or my spin rate, my fastball is twenty-four hundred, and I throw ninety. Things on those lines, um, and obviously, from a metric perspective, those matter, and they're they're a piece to the recruiting pre- recruiting process for us. But we're really trying to find players that are uber competitive. Um, I think that in the world, everybody loves to win, right? Everybody likes to win. I think there's only a set amount of people that hate to lose. Um, and I think that's really important for us. And um, so when we're out there recruiting, we're really trying to find really competitive players. And because there's a lot of guys, especially I'm sure you guys see in Texas, there's a lot of players that throw 90 miles ninety miles an hour or, hit, or have an exit field over hundred or run below, below a six, eight or things along those lines. And those are kind of more like check-the-box metrics for us. Um, but we're trying to get out there and, and finding players that are, you know, really, really, really competitive. And um, and we're not like other programs. Like where at Eastern we would bring in 15 guys a year and right. we would kind of let the process play out a little bit and, you know, let the guys go compete every single day and see who kind of won the spot and who developed and things on those lines. At Yale we only bring in seven, and it's kind of yeah. how the Ivy League works in general. So you got to be make sure – That you're you're not missing on those on those seven players. So getting out and seeing them, you know, multiple times over the course of the spring or summer, fall, etc., having a lot of conversations with them um, is is definitely really important to us.
0: Sure. And one of the things you know, Drew and I try to tell players and parents and things like that is you you mentioned it. I mean, you might be fortunate to see a guy a couple times or a few times. Uh, but so much of you college coaches' evaluation is just kind of crammed into a, a short amount of time. So, you know, for some of these guys, it might you know be one look, or or you know, we tell them like, hey, a coach might go around to the Arizona Fall Classic and sit on your game for an inning, and you know, you've got to you know try to, try to stay out in some way. Like, what are some things visually that that you're kind of look for from that competitiveness angle, and also too like. You know, so much of what you guys have to do, you know, especially at a program like Yale, um, you've got to do the background and, and, you know, the makeup and things like that. What are some questions that you're asking high school coach, select coach, whomever it is, uh, to try to peel back the onion a little bit and, and see if these guys really do fit uh, what you guys want at Yale? Because you, know, you mentioned you brought in 50, you bring in 15 guys a year at Eastern. Now you're working with a, a smaller amount of players, so it's almost like you got to be a little bit more fine-tuned with who you're bringing in.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think to start the Yale baseball culture is amazing. And I think our players very much hold our culture near and dear to their hearts. And, and the, the, the nice part and the tough part, like you said, we can only bring in seven, but the great part about only being, being able to bring in seven is those seven, I don't know how many player teams in the country can say this, but those seven guys that come in as freshmen are the seven guys that graduate together as seniors bearing mm-hmm. someone getting drafted. Um, So the locker room of of twenty eight. Sometimes we get a walk on, uh, or or someone that gets into school on their own. But the locker room of call it thirty guys are are together, and we're not bringing in transfers. And so they they have a special bond with with each other. So really making sure first and foremost that those players recruits are fitting in are going to fit in with our current team. Um, So we're really asking character questions around with with travel coaches or high school coaches or things along those lines around, you know, how they are as a person, how they are to hang out with. what, are, And I think asking a lot of questions around how they deal with adversity has, has very much benefited us. Like, you know, when, you know, you're 0 for 5 and striking out five times, like, are you over in the corner slamming your helmet and throwing your bat? Or are you up in, on the top step cheering on your, cheering on your teammates because you're looking to win the game? Um, like we have, for example, we have a... We have a player that that's coming in that's from a top five um, travel organization in the country, and he played for someone else in the past. And one of our questions was, hey, like, how come, you you know, you move travel programs? Like, what was, what was the reason that you moved travel programs? Because for a lot of times, moving around and bouncing travel programs for us at least is a little bit of a red flag because that means, you know, you're always looking for the grass is greener on the other side. And as yeah. we all know, it's, you know, a lot of times not. And he said he wanted to win. His, his number one priority was winning and his old program was not winning. And he wanted to go to a program that was going to win games. He didn't care if he hit in the seven hole and had to play first baseman. He was a third baseman. He wanted to be on a team where he was in the lineup at where he was winning every day. And he was willing to go compete for a spot and didn't care where in the lineup or where in the field he was playing. And that was something that, you know, really resonated well with us. And obviously we took him and he, he's, he's an amazing player and hopefully has a great career for us, but you know, things on those lines and and his, you know, asking competitive questions or, or even potentially asking them about different situations. Like, you know, you know, tell me about a situation, like, honestly, like an interview where we've all been through is like, tell me about a situation where, you know, it's, you know, that, that you've struggled and you've dealt with adversity and like, how did you handle it? Um, And I know that sounds like a little bit, a little crazy because, you know, I don't know how many people are asking interview questions to, you know, 16 and 17 year olds, (laughs) but trying to figure out really how they react. And and I think talking to their travel coaches and their high school coaches has been really beneficial for us as well. And kind of making sure to talk to, you know, their travel coach, their high school coach, their, you know, their hitting coach, things along those lines has been helpful. Talk to other coaches in their high school conference. How do you you know, how does this person react? How do you what do you think of this person? Things on those lines, not even necessarily from a talent perspective, but um, how do they carry themselves on, on the field? Like, do you enjoy playing against them? Are they, you know, a person you would never want on your team? Things on those lines um, has been beneficial for us to uh, kind of get the full picture of, of how the person is in general.
1: Yeah. You know, <clears throat> one of the things that we run into a lot is no matter the level, there's, you know, there's a lot of there's misconceptions about, you know, a, a program or a coach or, you know, ju- the league that they play in. And th- there's just so much information out there. Have you seen have you guys come across any misconceptions or that are common themes that people think that they have any preconceived notions about playing at Yale or the Ivy league in general, um, you know, the application process, financial aid, scholarships, stuff like that. Is there any, anything that you guys have that typically come across that would be super beneficial on your end for people to know and understand going into the recruiting process?
2: Yeah. I, I can't tell you how many times we've talked to travel coaches or talked to players that reach out to us or that we've reached out to that, use the words like, hey, this is my GPA, this is my SAT score, I'm an easy admit to Yale. (laughs) I'm talking about we get, I would say 20 people a week we hear that from. And if I could explain how the Yale admissions process works and the amount of people that apply to Yale that are either – so, for example, you go find this on U.S. News and World Reports, right? So we have fifty thousand people that apply to Yale a year. We're admitting roughly fifteen hundred. Um, our admissions officer told us one time that if you stripped, if you only took the player, the people that had a perfect score on their SAT, perfect score on their ACT, or had a per, had, were valedictorian of their high school class, you'd still be at thirty thousand. <laughs> <laughs> and. <laughs> I remember looking at him and I'm like, dude, like wh- what? And, and I, and I think he was kind of ballparking that number, but he like, he was just trying yeah. to explain to us like how hard it is to get into Yale on your own. Um, and I think that that's one misconception is it is extremely hard. Not only Yale, Harvard, Princeton, et cetera. Like it is extremely hard to get into, in into, in, into any of those schools. Um, I think one misconception is like, you know, Drew, you kind of said that, you know, had 27 players drafted in the last call 20 years or so. And we play extremely high level baseball. Like you look at rice. I mean, I think right. Harvard went down and beat rice two out of three or swept them last year, yep. you know, kind of yep. Yale went, you know, Yale went to Auburn which is a world series team and took one of three and probably should have taken two of three. If you go back and look at the box scores, um, I, mean, you know, I think Penn made some noise down that way, maybe at Texas tech or Texas A&M last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are teams in the league that kind of gone. And that's just a little example of last year. Um, and so there, there's really high level baseball being played in, in the Ivy League. And I think a lot of times some people. I think we're, we're very much looking for basically like the, the tier two power five player. And I try to explain that to a lot of travel coaches and high school coaches and things on those lines. Like we're looking for the player that might not be able to play at Texas, might not be able to play at Texas A&M, might not be able to play at Rice. Like they're like, you know, if they're taking to call it 10 guys a year, we're looking for number 11 that they just kind of, that those programs just are passing on that are still potentially able to play at that level, but are maybe just a little bit shy, or maybe they're even going to get a walk on spot and yeah. would, you know, be willing to consider getting a you know, world-class education um, over a, you know, a power five walk on spot. And I think, Um, So I think kind of some misconceptions are, you know, we only play 42 games in the Ivy League, so we're not playing 56 like everyone else in Division one. And I think sometimes, you know, people take a look at that and say, oh, yeah, you know, you're playing 14 games less, you're almost like a Division three program. Um, And so maybe the level of competition isn't that isn't as good in the Ivy League and and things on those lines. And I think that is definitely not true, especially right, Drew, you talked about the draft picks in the last 20 years.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, we played multiple Ivy league teams when I was at Texas and like you, you usually get, I mean, it's a hard nosed brand of baseball um, with guys, like you said, they're highly competitive and mature. Right. And they, they don't make mistakes. Like you have to play well to beat them. I think that's always been kind of the, you know, the, the MO for those teams. That's what I always felt like, like you have to go in and play mistake free baseball or, or know that that's what's going to be played against you. And that can create some pressure for sure. But I mean, you know, talking about the roster, I know, you know, we, we all saw Tate Evans. I mean, I don't, I don't know that he would, I, I have a feeling that breaking ball would be in the much higher than the top 11 for some of these guys on their scouting reports for the major D ones. But I mean, he put on a show last year, all year long. And, you know, I think he, I would imagine that he's going to compete for some playing time, but you know, I, I, you know, I think that it's good to clear up some of those misconceptions because you know, Dustin and I work in this, and we hear it a lot. You know, people mm-hmm. don't understand what all's out there. Um, And shoot, I remember when I was going through the process, my mom was really upset that I didn't at least take a visit to Harvard at, at the time. I, you know, I mean, just that education is tough to beat, you know, and realistically the amount of people that are going to play enough baseball in their life to never have to work again is almost zero. <laughs> it's less yeah, than, yeah,
2: less than one percent for to, sure. Going back to what you said before. I mean, like we're, we're trying to recruit players that want to play professional baseball and yeah. right. And we normally have, I would say we have over the last call, it a little probably five or 10 years, we've normally had like two players draft every year. Like we had, you know, Mike Walsh got drafted in the ninth round last year. And then Grant Kipp that signed a free agent contract with the Dodgers yeah. or Cubs, sorry. And um, we're looking for players that want to play Major League Baseball. But at the end of the day, like right, like there's only one percent of the population that gets drafted that makes it to the major leagues and is able to make a right. career out of playing baseball. So we're looking for the people that are that understand. Hey, like my base. I hope your baseball career is done at 40. But if your baseball career is done at 25, 30, even if you even if it's 22, you're gonna have a fallback plan where you're, I've explained this to recruits is you, whatever you can dream of doing in your life is completely possible. And the door is open for you. And there is some Yale baseball alum or another Yale alum that works in that industry that is very much willing to kind of help you out and open doors for you. Um, And it's, it's, it's special.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's totally a special opportunity uh, from the pitching side you know how would you describe generally kind of the philosophy or or you know what you guys want to be on the mound i mean you guys had so so much success at eastern um and, and kind of you know high strikeout totals one year maybe super low walk totals the next year you know what what do you guys look for from the pitching side and what how would you describe that general philosophy of of what you guys want to be on the mound as a team
2: yeah so first and foremost i mean when we're when we're um, kind of out there recruiting, you need to have an elite pitch. Um, I I could care less about guys that throw. I think a big, there's a big thing around guys that throw, you know, three pitches. And it's like, well, if your fastball's average and your breaking ball's average and your change up's average, you're going to just be average and you're going to really struggle. Because when, when there are situations, you know, it's first, second, two outs or guy in third, one out or things on those lines, you need to generate a swing and a miss. Um, you don't have that swing and miss pitch in your repertoire. Um, so we're really we're trying to recruit people that have an elite pitch like what is your pitch what's your go-to pitch you can generate swings and misses on things along those lines um and then on top of that we're looking for strike throwers i think when i was younger um i you know you we we can get the guy in the ivy league that throws 95 they're 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 out there and they're they're guys that and not saying we're not going to take some of those but there's guys that throw 95 that spray their fastball a little bit and you know can't can't consistently throw strikes and you look at their perfect game numbers or you look at you know their high school numbers, or things on those lines, and they're a walk, a walk and a half per inning pitched. And yeah, maybe they have you know two strikeouts per inning pitched, but you got a walk it per innings pitched. You know that that's very indicative of you know you're potentially not a you know you're you're not a strike thrower, you're not filling up the zone. Um, and there's nothing worse in college than you know not throwing strikes. So I think yeah. our our big thing here at Yale, and it was been my thing at Wesley and at Eastern, is his ability to throw strikes. We track every day. Um, in bullpens, in live sessions, in inner squads, in scrimmages, in games, we have a chart that I put that I put up every single day on on the locker room wall um, that tracks one one conversion, strike percentage, and um, why am I forgetting the third metric here? Um, first pitch strikes, and um, I actually looked listen to Chuck Rusano, who's a new pitching. He was at Notre Dame. He's a he's a Northeast guy. He's at Florida State. He he actually they track there. You know quality at bats against. And I just learned this at the convention, and we're going to start tracking quality at bats mm-hmm. against. Um, it's a metric that uh, you know I think is really helpful and um, kind of lets it kind of tells the pitchers where they're at. So we went to this model at Easter. It's really interesting. So we said we set a bar of sixty five percent strikes, and I said if you're not sixty five percent strikes in in bullpens, I don't allow you to throw in inner squads. If you're not sixty five percent strikes in inner squads yet, you, you don't throw in games. And I remember the first center squad we had coach Ham, and we had, you know, 20 something pitchers and coach Ham was like, Hey, what do we got for a live days? I, like, I got three pitchers. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, what? And I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll coach pitch for the next 14 innings. Like, I don't care. Like we're holding we're true to here. Um, and, and it worked. And I, and, and I think a lot of people are in the boat of, well, if, I don't know why. And I guess this didn't strike me until I was a little bit older. I was like, if you're fifty five percent strikes in bullpens, why do I expect you to be sixty five percent strikes in games? Right. Like, and I'm going to regress I'm that when you, Yeah, I'm like I'm getting aggravated when you don't throw strikes in the games, but it's my own fault for letting you get away with it in bullpens. Mm-hmm. Um, and we actually don't track necessarily. We've moved away. We don't track exact strike percentage in bullpens. We track quality pitches, right? So if we're working on O2 breaking balls or high fastballs or or whatever that they may be, um, I don't want to. I don't want you to shy away from bouncing a breaking ball when we're working on when we're, if that's something we're working on for the day and because your strike percentage is going to go down. So we track quality pitches in, in bullpens. Then we track strike percentage in our squads and, uh, and, and in games. But I think those things have been really helpful for us um, at Eastern, and hopefully they're, they're helpful at Yale. We're, we're going to be really young on the mound this year, um, which is a good thing for guys like Tate Evans and some of our other younger guys to gain experience. Um, and I told coach, like, I don't know if, you know, how good we'll be on the mound this year, but I'm, I promise him we'll, we'll throw strikes and we'll make guys put the balls in play. And especially when we're playing on turf and yeah. our field's Vegas 335 down the lines and 385 in the gaps and four or five in center, right? It's like, hey, force guys to, you know, put the ball in play and don't give, you know, free 90s.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I was cruising around on the website earlier and I remember seeing this on Twitter a couple months back. But if you haven't seen the aerial tour of, the Yale baseball field, it's on the website, go check it out. It's really good. Um, we know you got to get somewhere, but always want to end with a couple of fun things with, with coaches that we have on because Dustin and I have major FOMO that we didn't play in the NIL era ourselves. So we always, <laughs> we always like to ask coaches like, Hey, if you were playing now and you were seeking out NIL deals, uh, what kind of stuff would you be looking for? For us, it's always food. Always food. But, but I did see the little note on your bio that when you were at Eastern, that you were the golf coach as well. So, yeah. I was I was curious if your if your NIL deal would have something to do with golf because I I, I started going down a rabbit hole in my mind of ways that I could parlay golf uh, interests into NIL. But we always want to check and see what 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 kind of stuff coaches would be looking for if they were playing in this era.
2: Yeah, so I, I'll say this. So if you guys are into food, uh, New Haven has amazing food. I'll have to Drew next time, or that's when I'm down in Texas. I'll have to I'll have to bring you some a, a few different types of pizza. Oh uh, yeah, Barstool Barstool Sports Rank, New Haven has the best pizza in the world. That's right. Oh. Yeah, I
0: was gonna say it's like a it's like a pizza mecca up
2: there. Mecca of pizza, and like I think there's there there are. Uh, very, you know, I mean, it actually gets a little heated debates in the locker room around what has better pizza and things on those lines. So there's like three places, what's like the, Sally's, uh, Pepe's, Bar.
1: Ooh, okay.
2: And well, what's the, uh, so what's the bring, closest you know,
1: major airport to to New Haven?
2: So, um, so there's actually an, an airport in New Haven. You can't fly direct okay. from it from Dallas, um, but there's a lot of other points, um, in in that it flies to on the East Coast. So we normally fly. I fly direct out of Hartford. It's like 40 minutes. Hartford. I, uh, sorry he the for 40 minutes and it's like looking a, you know, up three looking up
1: flights over here. So, yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so I would, I would have, so, um, I thought this was the coolest thing. I didn't even know this existed. So when I first started at Eastern and I was the head golf coach, I created the program and, um, I met with the Yukon golf coach. So Yukon is five miles up the road from Eastern. They're, they're really close, We're really close to their baseball staff. And I met with their golf coach and then, And he told me they have a worldwide TPC membership Oh, so that they're able to play at TPC and use their practice facilities wherever they travel in the country. And I was, I don't even know how you potentially get that, but that would, if somebody could get that for me and I was like, every (laughs) time I traveled was able to go play at a TPC course. um, I would probably be committing to that school.
1: Okay. I have no idea how
0: much that
2: costs by the way.
0: i I don't know how many yale alums we have that tune into the five tool podcast but i'm gonna guess (laughs) that there's probably a few out there that that might have access to that sort of little yeah for for the golf courses for sure
2: i i will say that as as being the yale coach you actually kind of talked about earlier in the podcast about the the the, the rolodex and how things have changed Mm -hmm. and things on those lines and um, right, Eastern, um, majority of our alums live in Connecticut, Mass, Rhode Island, you know, within, you know, a two hour drive. And I think, right, Yale, you have a lot of alums that live everywhere in the country. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them, you know, are work in the business world, finance world, et cetera, and uh, have memberships to some really cool golf courses. So uh, we're hopefully, Coach Jim and I are going to try to parlay, you know, meeting with there alums and chatting with them and playing golf when we're out recruiting. It's a, it's the a great,
1: great place to get to know somebody.
2: Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
1: well,
0: that's, I mean that's like what, when you're describing their creating process, thing like that. I hope that like potential targets understand the opportunity that like you're going to get an opportunity put to play high level baseball to turn professional in that in that realm. Uh, who knows what happens from there? But also just like the the amount of people you'll bump into on a on a walk around campus is just like there's there's nowhere like it in the world really.
2: Yeah. And I think, cool, like actually talking about golf. So we actually have a 23 commit, a 24 commit that are uh, um, very into golf. One one parent's a, uh, a golf course designer and Ooh. the other one, you know, works in the golf industry. And so Yale's golf course is actually a top hundred golf course in the world. Wow. And so the the students are allowed to play at the golf course. For, it's owned by Yale so it's, and they're allowed to play at the golf course for free after 5 PM. And I, I oh. potentially think like, they thought that was the coolest thing ever and maybe yeah. and potentially like that was that was two of the reasons why uh why they they decided to come to yale
1: yeah, y'all may have to may, try to push for those practice times to start a little bit earlier uh, yeah, yeah, on yeah, Sundays.
2: <laughs> unfortunately right drew as, as you know i, I have an 18 month old and a, yeah. a seven year old so once practice is done i gotta i gotta get home if i was gone all day. And then I told my wife, Hey, I'm good. I'm also playing golf at five 30.
1: Well, I, seven's old enough to caddy, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, hey,
2: I was just telling somebody the other day when we we're at the baseball convention, I was like, Oh, do you have your son play golf? And he's like, ah, he's like, no, I don't think so. And I was like, I would 100% have my, when my daughter is old enough to play golf, like she's going to come out cause easy way. like, Oh yeah. yeah. I'm, gonna play, I'm taking Paisley to go golf, you know? And yeah. They think it's cool riding the cart.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Right. Well, well, Chris, thank you so much for the time, and uh, you have me anxious to go on a recruiting trip to Yale right now. We're gonna have to talk and see if you have any pool about any sort of uh, postgraduate degrees or, or, or some <laughs> way I can I can try to sneak onto uh, campus there. Um, I, I
2: wish I wish the Ivy League allowed grad transfers. Uh, oh, I think it'd be really yeah. huge, and I actually I would say right out of the last thought that uh, it's actually hurt the ivy league from a competitiveness perspective mm-hmm. over the last couple yeah. years right like a lot of ivy league transfers like our, our starting shortstop last year grad transferred is now going to be the starting shortstop at georgia um we yeah. had you know cornell's number one's now going to be in the rotation at notre dame things on those lines so right ivy league you can only play for four years and you can't play in graduate school in in the ivy league um but you're right. Like if you kind of look at the the players that have coming out of the league that are going to play power five baseball, it, they're either drafted or going to play power five baseball over the last mm-hmm. you know two or three years since COVID is 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 huge. Yeah, well, I
1: saw it was funny. I saw somebody. I think that somebody in the Ivy League is committed already, even though they still have this year to play in the Ivy League. They're committed to go to to play at A and M next year. Um, yep, and I, that's I saw that, and I was like, wait a minute, that. But yeah, it hadn't even dawned on me. But yeah, I can, one a, I can one see a,
2: that one of Columbia's hitters. Um, yeah, that's is, right. I mean, we have. I mean, our senior, we we have a senior on our team that uh, is going to decide any day what Power Five offer he takes, and um, there's, you know, a they're they're very very good offers. So, um, yeah. yeah, yeah, there's a lot of opportunities for those players, and and I think honestly for a lot of them too, like it's things for us that we're not able to keep them from a grad school perspective or things along those lines, but it's also, you know, you get an Ivy league degree and then you get to go play power five baseball for a year. You kind of experience, you know, the best of both worlds, honestly.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like Dustin said, we appreciate you coming on. Uh, We know that you guys are trying to make an effort to get into Texas. Um, We can help clear up any misconceptions that you guys run into. We want to be able to do that um, because, you know, the opportunity to play at a place like Yale or in the Ivy league is, is tough to pass up. Mm. Um, And, you know, if we can be an advocate for that, we'd love to. Um, And, you know, got people out there listening, um, you know, make sure you understand this stuff as you're going through the recruiting process, because, you know, it's, it's tough to get into, but it's something that's, that's worth making an effort to do if you can play if you can play at that level. So um, you know, we hope, we're hope we excited to see you more down in Texas and our events across the country and um, excited for you guys to go through your first season at
0: Yale.
2: Thanks, Dustin. Thanks, Drew. I appreciate the time, and I'm sure I'll be, I'll be talking and seeing you guys soon. Yeah, uh, good, good luck, and make you. sure
0: if you, you come back down next summer, there better be some pizza coming with you. Guys. There will be. I, I, <laughs> I,
2: I already have my trip scheduled for next summer, and I will definitely be bringing pizza for you guys.
0: All awesome, right, Chris. Yale. Appreciate
2: it, man. All right, have a good one. All
0: right, we'll see you. Thanks again to Yale pitching coach and recruiting coordinator, Chris Wojcik for jumping on the five tool podcast. Uh, great discussion there. And I don't know about you, Drew, but like he didn't even like hard sell us on Yale, but the more he talked, I was like, I just want to go like visit, you know, just like walk around and <clears throat> I can't imagine the opportunity to to play baseball there and go to school there and just where you are and, 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 in that region and uh, the pizza Mecca, like he's got me one to hop on a flight to Hartford and you know, click a little drive into town. But uh, for me, one thing that really stuck out to me, and I didn't realize this initially until he said it, was the aspect of when you're bringing in a recruiting class. That like those guys are staying in the program, you know, there's there's not this turnover that you get with a lot of the D ones and, and, you know, obviously junior college baseball they're you know, one or two years and you're gone, but there's not that turnover. So I, I think that's really unique. It's kind of old school that, you know, the guys you arrive on campus with, those are your guys. And um, almost all the time you're, you guys are, you know, teammates and friends and um, all the way through, which, which I thought was unique. And I, I think that's something that could be really appealing to, uh, to certain players when they're evaluating the recruiting process.
1: Well, yeah, it's, it's definitely something that will help the culture. Um, like you said, assuming you get it right, and that's right. why it's, mm-hmm. so, it's so important to do so with seven spots per year. But I've been waiting for some bigger programs, and, and some of them do uh, more of this than others. But, you know, I I understand the the lure of having so many guys in the fall. Um, and, you know, make creating some competition on the back end of the roster and all that. But I've always wondered why more teams don't aim for a smaller roster, Mm -hmm. um, just for, you know, for, for purposes of reps, um, uh, you know, for, for their guys, because, you know, as everyone knows the the number of coaches that D one programs can have is, is limited, um, you know, compared ratio wise, compared to some other sports, um but it is what it is and you know having you know being able to focus on 30 guys versus 50 or so in the fall yeah. like that that would matter um just because time's so valuable and number of swings and shoot i know there's some some uh, bp throwing coaches that would definitely like to have those <laughs> <laughs> lower numbers uh, for sure but but yeah that's something that matters and i mean it, it, and and obviously, too, at a place like Yale, Ivy League schools, Stanford, like, there's, there's some built in understanding of how important that education is. So the likelihood of getting to keep those guys um, versus them transferring out is probably higher, too. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and you you do, you you heard him talk at the end, too, about some of their guys that are going to continue to play past those four years at a power five school for grad school. Um, So that I mean, that's something that, you know, it's, it's 4 or 5 years down the road but it's it's definitely a neat option so like you go there have a really good career and want to keep playing you may have a year to be able to do so so um but i i think it's you know playing in the ivy league is something that not enough people have on their mind um as a as a realistic option but like we said i mean there there are tons of guys drafted out of the ivy league every year um and you see a lot of them you know working in front offices yes uh down the line like Theo Epstein's a guy that that mm-hmm. was a was a Yale alum um there's there's countless. uh Chris Young GM for the Rangers yeah. a former big league pitcher pitched at Princeton and also played basketball at Princeton too um but you know I mean the doors that are open for you um at a place like the Ivy League schools and Stanford and Rice like you mentioned a couple of times like that that education opens doors that a lot of places aren't able to, uh, and worldwide too. I think that's that's the thing. It's not it's not regionally based like it is in a lot of places. But um, really exciting to talk to him. It's been awesome getting to know him. Uh, see how much he's trying to get into Texas mm-hmm. um, because you know the, a lot of the schools here are, are good academically. Um, yes. I know they have a lot of pockets in California that you know some of those people don't ha- in California don't have the sticker shock of of tuition. Uh, because they're used to paying it for private schools out there already. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know I, I think it's it's really interesting. it's it's a it's niche recruiting. Um, you know, your pool's limited some yeah. by the fact that it's so tough to get in, but it's also a big pool because you have so many people buying for seven spots a year. Um, so it's it, it's definitely a different set of challenges, but I like the way that they're attacking things and I'm really excited to see how that staff goes about it this year.
0: Yeah, obviously, staff had a, a ton of success at Eastern Connecticut. Um, you know, going forty nine and three the year prior and <laughs> winning the national championship. And I mean, it, it's it's pretty cool. Like I mentioned, you, you know, you see the press release when Brian Ham was hired, and and you know Jared Banner, who's Cubs vice president, is is releasing the statement, and Ben Sherrington and you know, Perry Hills and, and Mariners in, on the staff there, the infield coach. Like the the well, like I don't think the average baseball fan realizes like the wealth. Of like influence, Ivy League, you know, New England baseball, like that. That's kind of had on, on at the professional level. So, um, it's it's a fantastic opportunity to go play and get an education with the doors potentially that could open up there. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited to, to see what this staff does. Um, you know, the fact that they're 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 so willing to want to get into places like Texas and you know California and things like that, which I think is is really really smart. Um, you know, just. Just from the sheer, not just the sheer talent, but also the talent and the academics and, and, you know, the appeal that the appeal that a program like like Yale could have up there. But um, super interesting conversation. And uh, I got to imagine like, you know, just walking around and, um, you know, just the people you bump into as a a baseball guy and the brains you can kind of pick. It's got to be fun from the development standpoint as well. Um, it's got to be fun for those guys too, from the recruiting standpoint, you know, they're not having to recruit the portal and, and, you know, they get to really kind of focus in on like DK, this is the caliber of player that, mm-hmm. that we're looking for. These are the types of questions that we have to answer. And, and, um, and, and that's how we go about it in the process.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, you think about the two big names right off the top of the bat that you can think of from Texas, you know, we, Tate Evans was a guy mm-hmm. that we covered heavily last year. I mean, he had as good of a season as, anybody in Texas on the mound right and I mean that he's a big time pitcher like I mean he's he's a guy that I mean I don't know where he falls in their pecking order for this year but I can't imagine that guy not logging innings this year if he's healthy um and then you know they they dropped down and they got Colin Sloan um saw him at one of our academic showcases yeah that's a guy that that he talked about you know he he's a he's a he's a hitter um, but it was kind of similar to what he said their pitching philosophy was do you have an elite pitch? Mm. And Colin Sloan has an elite tool. The guy can hit and he can hit for power. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's interesting to see how they're going about the recruiting process. I really liked to, some of the stuff that he said he focuses on on the pitching um, when it comes to strike throwing. I thought the, the charting the quality of the bat, quality at bats against was interesting. That's yeah. an interesting yeah. angle um but yeah can kind of give you a, some insight into how well are they seeing this guy <laughs> are they mm-hmm. just getting lots of good at bats at someone but uh but yeah it's exciting to think about you know he before we hopped on he gave us a little walk around tour of the facility um some of the stuff they're doing it's obviously it's obvious that they're big into the analytics and um stuff on the pitching side when they've got the hit tracks on the hitting side they've got trackman um looked like they were doing some some high level stuff in their pitching lab but doing some biomechanical testing stuff too exactly and i mean what an awesome field like seriously i mentioned this when he was on but like if if go check out the little clip of the the aerial tour of george hw bush stadium that yale plays in it's it's a really good facility um, you know, and like you said, they've lucked out so far on the wet on the weather and being close to the water like they are, it's a little warmer than other parts of Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, like just like you said, it's kind of got you fired up to go see it and um see what Yale baseball is all about.
0: Yeah, yeah, certainly had me uh had me hooked, that's for sure. But uh, thanks to thanks to him for jumping on and, and joining us. I know they've been busy up there getting ready for their their season to get going, and I'll uh, be excited to. Uh, to see him out and about, and again the summer down here in Texas as they keep expanding that that brand and recruiting. But uh, before we get out of here, uh, you've got a team in the playoffs, and I, I don't. So what what what's the vibe for uh, for the boys getting that Monday Man. night Monday night football slot against uh, I... against Tom Brady.
1: I don't like it. Um, I don't after watching that debacle on Sunday, like I under you know, like I would have felt much better if they just like played a quarter or a half and just pulled them and you could have yeah. talked up, but like it was clear that they were trying to do something as the game went on and it just kept getting worse. Mm-hmm. But the injuries are gonna end up being their downfall. I mean, with Beadish out at center, it starts a chain reaction of guys on the line moving to different spots. Just it was disgusting to watch They're They're just, it's going to be tough for them. I, they may win Monday, but I don't see them winning past that realistically unless they just magically get healthier. I mean, like you can see Mike, my, my Micah Parsons isn't the same guy that he was just because, you know, he ran out of gas, I think, you know, mm-hmm. and he's hurt, you know, he had to carry so much load early in the season. He, he looks just tired slash injured. Um, having that second corner out is it, that was crushing they can't figure out who to put over there. Yeah. Um, So I, you know, unfortunately what started out as them having a chance, I mean, halfway through the year, I thought they had a chance to make some waves, but they better flip some sort of switch that they haven't seen in a while um, and get some balls to bounce their way if they want to make some noise in the playoffs. But I was excited for Tomlin, man. Like just, I just, I don't know why, but I love that stat of never having a losing season. And it's pretty wild. Yeah, I mean, as a Pittsburgh fan, I'm assuming that you are pretty excited about the way things are headed. I mean, you, got, you, got, you saw some development and yeah. some guys that gave you some promise for the future.
0: Yeah, when they started two and six, I was convinced this was the the worst team I Steelers team I've been alive for. I, I mean, I don't remember the the you know late '80s, early '90s teams, and I was just like, oh my god, this is bad. There's gonna be There's got to be staff turnover and then just they got better like every week. um, Offensive line got better. The run game got better. Pickett got better. Pickens flashes once a game. Um, You know, the defense started coming on. It's like, okay, like they've they've got something to work with. And then that that Chase Claypool trade now turns into the number 32 pick in the draft. So. You know, working with some some good What draft a steal. Captain, what a I steal know. that is. I, that I was... know. Like, I still – I was kind of shocked at the time they got a second for him. And I know he's uber talented, but the talent hadn't always turned it's into production on the field, and he had a bit of a knucklehead syndrome going on. And, um, yeah, you think the Bears, with where they were positioned, um, probably would want to hold on to that pick as opposed to dealing it out. But, yeah, getting that, that 30-second pick um, – you know t- stacking that with a first rounder we'll see what they what they do there but yeah on one hand it's like the standard of the Steelers is not to be nine and eight miss the playoffs but on the other hand if you realistically look at the roster and yeah how they started and, and the growth and how the youth all over the place on offense it was definitely encouraging like I just the the offense today right. was night and day different from you know what it was at the end of the season to where it was week two week three and things like that and uh, I don't cuss out Matt Canada every game now so um, <laughs> we've we've made some progress in in that regard as well. Well, so okay, so along those lines, like they finished
1: the year on a high note, some uh-huh. some some hope moving forward, right. right? Like, so we had this debate going on last night during the college football playoff game is that Um, what
0: that was last night
1: yeah (laughs) well well okay so you know one argument turned into the question of okay what what would you rather do if you're a program would you rather finish the year strong you know like on an uptick win a new year's six bowl yeah or make it to the national championship and get absolutely demolished
0: See, I, 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 was having this debate—not uh, that exact debate—but I was having a discussion with a couple of college friends, and I was like, "Fair or not, the only thing people are going to remember about TCU season now is they went, they got demolished by Georgia in the national title yeah. game. They're not going to remember anything else, and so, you know, that's that's unfair, but that's that's the reality. Is that's going to be what sticks with people? Is is that game and and that outcome and how absolutely disastrously." bad it was on that stage so i think it, it depends on the program you know if you've experienced a lot where of success, you are i mean yeah, yeah but yeah. you know for, for a tcu i gotta think that he's bad as last night was tcu fans like hey you know what we made the national championship game whereas me personally i would much rather finish the conference strong conference title get into an ny6 bowl and and and, and win that bowl um you know so, speaking from a florida state perspective They weren't in a New York Six Bowl. They're pretty, pretty good bowl, pretty decent bowl game. Get to 10 wins, you know, have have some moves.
1: What if if you're too lame? What if you're too lame? Right. Okay. Okay. Let me just ask this question, not tell you which side of it I'm on. Okay. Okay. Because I was having this argument. You can be the tiebreaker. Who did a better job coaching this year, Sonny Dykes or Willie Fritz? Willie Fritz did.
0: Okay. I will, what was I will the, not what Tulane win like two games last year? Yeah. 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 I'm not gonna and, I, and I, to kinda win. Comp- I kinda could I kind of compared TCU to this. I'm not trying to diminish what they did or the coaching job. It was a phenomenal coaching job. Certainly made me look silly. I thought when they hired Sonny Dykes, I was like, Oh, I don't I don't get it. But the more I learned about Cal football, the University of Cal, and just doing anything athletically there, the more I think it's an absolutely impossible D one job. Yeah. Um but to me TCU is is the starting pitcher who's poor strikeout numbers, walks guys, ton of bad of ball luck, but he's got like that shiny 2 ERA and he's cruising and he goes somewhere against a good lineup on the wrong day and by the 3rd inning he's given up like 9 runs and the ERA is like looks like what it should look like like I think things broke for them in such a way that they won so many close games like the regression didn't get them until they matched up against the most talented team in the country who decided to play angry and well for four quarters. So, um, but yeah, I think the, the job Fritz I mean, to beat USC in a bowl game, um, to win 12 games at two lane, like that's, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty remarkable. You know, yep. you don't seem like you're I, on that side of the, the equation.
1: I, I will not, I will,
0: uh, your facial expression it, suggests that you're not on that that side of the equation.
1: No, I'm not saying that. But for sake of keeping my job, I'm not gonna reveal what side of the argument I'm on. Oh. Um, but so but I will say that our question was heavily slanted, the answers were heavily slanted towards making the national championship game. Yeah. But as the game went on. The, it's the, things uh, the answers bit. started changing for some yeah. people because after, after like it's a that. fan
0: it's like you know, i was trying to put myself in the perspective of tcu fans that paid to go out there and it's just like i i can't you know it just leaves such a unfair sour taste in your mouth and like unfairly overshadows everything that happened prior to it which was yeah. like one of the best seasons in in tcu history like when they For got everyone snub- that's living, yeah. Yeah, when they, when they got snubbed in the playoffs that one year, did they win their bowl game after that? I'm trying to think what happened. Because the know. one year they, they like, went down in the, in the rankings despite winning at the end of the year. Because um, that season was a phenomenal, phenomenal season. Uh, let me see if I can pull it up real quick. So that would have had to have been – Two thousand fourteen. Seventeen. Oh, 14, Yeah. But they played in the peach bowl, which that doesn't make sense. Why would they play in the peach bowl well, when they're eleven and one? Would it be the um, fifteen? So they played they played Old Miss in the Peach Bowl and absolutely destroyed them. Um so I mean, yeah, I gotta think this past season is better than that if you're ending up in a peach bowl. I mean, getting to the national title game is is so yeah, it's the best season, you know anybody alive is experienced for TCU. It's just the way it played out, but like they're both were phenomenal coaching jobs. Like I didn't think no question. I didn't think TCU had a chance at anything close to 10 wins this year, you know, and like bringing in Max Duggan, you know, Chandler Morris was originally the starter, which how different does the season look if that guy's the starter? Like, you know, we would have never known what Max Duggan was, was capable of, but putting that staff together and winning those games. I mean, there's something to be said for, the confidence and the mental toughness and the execution to go to win the games that they won the way they did it. Like that's, yeah, there's a flukish element to winning a bunch of games that way, but there's also a non-flukish element of that. It's about the mental makeup and the coaching staff that's going on. So no um, doubt. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. I mean,
1: yeah. Like you said, an incredible job, any way you slice it for them, you know, let's be honest. I, I mean, we're, as texas alums we are uh we're waiting to take that next step oh gosh yeah yeah so um but yeah no i i mean it was a great season for them you know obviously you wish that final game was a little bit more competitive but i mean georgia was on a mission yeah and when you have the talent that they have compiled the best part of the night though for me was the halftime interview when david pollock made the comment that Georgia's taken over college football over the last 2 years sitting right next to Nixon oh, yeah. and Onset. So, I imagine that life around the Alabama football program the next couple of days,
0: yeah.
1: or weeks or months um might not be so fun.
0: No. uh uh-uh. um, And I, if, I, have I, you looked at Georgia's schedule for next year? Oh, it's it's a joke.
1: If they don't three P,
0: well who knows what they have at quarterback, you know. Um, it may not gosh, matter. It it might not, but man, they're looking so... at
1: it right now. They have one tricky game, and that's at going Tennessee? to Tennessee. Yeah. Yep.
0: Yeah. Yep. It's okay. just like, you know, they'll avoid Alabama until potentially the SEC title game, and yeah, it's a. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll see what happens, but yeah, it was uh just caught George on the on the wrong night, and uh, TCU just had the um just didn't play up to up to their level, so but uh, yeah, good run for them getting there for sure. And uh, you know, let's hope let's hope they're not the only Texas team that uh, that makes some noise in, in the college fall round for a while, but well, that wraps us up. Uh, thanks for tuning in to the five tool podcast. Uh, make sure you go check out our new website, fivetool.org. A lot of exciting things going on there. Uh, later this week, we'll be at the uh, Texas high school coaches, uh, base, Texas high school baseball coaches association convention. Uh, in Round Rock, so come by. Uh, say hello. Um, talk to us if you're high school coach listening. Um, come grab your eye and and share players you're excited about for this upcoming season. You know, we're always anxious to hear. You know, who's doing what, and you know the the next guy is coming up through these respective programs and things like that before we get on the road. Uh, uh, pretty soon here, you know, getting some schedules coming out. You mm-hmm. know, kind of peeking towards the scrimmages in February and. Some really, really exciting um, pre-district um, tournaments and things like that. I know something that Drew, you've been working on for a long, long time. That's going to be a big deal up in the DFW area, um, you know, in March. So uh, it'll be here before we know it. But if you see us, come by, say hello. Um, you know, we love to chat, chat about your team, any players and things like that. Um, I don't know when we'll record the next one since we'll be out there for the convention um uh, but it'll probably be soon um yeah. but until then um drew i hope you uh I, I am rooting for the cowboys to beat tom brady this weekend okay. all right um the man has won enough yeah. enough is enough um so yeah i'll i'll be i'll be rooting for the cowboys this weekend to uh, to knock him out and uh, who knows what happens um happens from there so um good luck and uh, for those of you listening, again, get to 5tool.org, check out our new website, uh, the player profiles, the premium features, especially those college and high school coaches out there. The scout package could be a phenomenal, phenomenal tool for you guys in terms of keeping up with your players, but also recruiting, you know, getting that contact information, and things like that. So go check that out um, until we talk to you all next time. Take care.